0: Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome back, everyone, to one of our final episodes of 2020. Very excited about this episode because our guest is not just a past GeoMob speaker and indeed a SplashMob's Best Speaker Prize winner, but the creator of a very, very innovative service. With me today is Chris Hildre, the, the founder of Proxy Address. You know, we've been doing Geomop for about 10 years now, and actually more than 10 years, and we've had many, many speakers come through. And this is one one of the most clever things that we've actually seen uh, in, in all that time. And so really excited that we finally got the chance for Chris to share his story. Chris, before we get into Proxy Address specifically, first of all, let me say welcome to the show. Hi. <laughs> but introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background, um, because you don't have a traditional geo industry background. Uh, no, no, not at all. Uh, I think the last time I touched Geo was uh, GCSE
1: Geography, actually. Yeah, so my, my name is Chris and uh, I'm, I'm the founder of Proxy Address. And I also run a design studio called Hildi Studio because my, my background is in architecture. So, so I'm an architect. And generally speaking, that's been my career path for some time. So I went through, uh, got qualified through the usual long architectural route, picked up an extra research degree on the way through. And then, yeah, I've been designing buildings until I came to the point of designing Proxy Address. So and at the time, that proxy address came about. In a sense, it kind of came about because of, of architecture, really because of my frustration with architecture. So at the time it was 2017 and I was employed uh, as an architect and I was uh, running a project at the, for the Natural History Museum, uh, the rebuilding of the main entrance. So getting the big blue whale jaw through the, through the door. And at the time I, I was offered a place as a uh, designer in residence at the Design Museum uh, down the road from the Natural History Museum. And uh, that gave me the opportunity to, to look into You know, stuff that I wanted to look at beyond the the normal traditional role of an architect. And and that's
0: where Proxy just came from. Well, fantastic. I really think this is a great example of of my favorite kind of talk at GeoMob where people come approaching the geo problem with completely fresh eyes and thus they're able to come with a completely fresh solution. So, Thank you. But I I think before we dive into what exactly Proxy Address is, I think it's really critical, especially for our non-UK listeners, that we kind of explained the, the problem that they had. Because as someone who was, was a foreigner who went to the UK myself, I had not really grasped this problem. And, and I think many people won't get it unless they've experienced it. And that is that is this, in the UK, you're often asked, there's, no, there's not always a simple way to prove your identity in that there, there are no uh, ID cards in the UK and there's no sense of really registering when you change address as there are in m- many other European countries. And so you're often asked for proof of address, which consists of a, a bank statement or a utility bill or something, which, frankly, I think everyone can agree is a pretty absurd system that, like, you know, you'd show up with a water bill and that somehow proves you, who you are. But that is how it works. So so now that listeners have that context, tell us what proxy address is and how it how it helps solve that problem for, for a unique segment of society. Yes. Yeah, so, well, as you say, you know, there's no standard form of, of sort of id
1: id proof and and i think we we had id cards in world war 2 in the uk and then since then it's only really come up a couple of times i think it was proposed in the 80s to attend football matches because of the various football hooliganism at the time and then labor tried to get it in in 2008 but that was cancelled by the by the coalition that came in in 2010. So there's been a couple of, of attempts to get ID cards in but it, it doesn't really sit with the UK population I think. I think you know the idea of being asked to show your papers is something that sort of culturally doesn't sit well. So as you say what we end up with is this uh, absurd workaround whereby you have to demonstrate your identity with with your address and Therein lies the difficulty that the address was, you know, something to describe a location. It's, it's a way of organising the built environment, but it's had this scope shift where by now it's a facto form of ID. So the problem there is if you, if you don't have access to your home, so if you get evicted, say, and you lose your home, you not only lose your shelter, but you also lose your address and with it, you lose your de facto ID. Now, for people who are homeless, that puts them in a really difficult position because the point when you are evicted, say, which is the number one cause of the increase in homelessness recently in the UK, not mental health or substance abuse issues, it's, it's, it's the end of a private tenancy. So when someone faces that issue and they need help to recover, so they might need you know bank account or they might need to apply for a job or they might need benefits, they might need to see a doctor, all those things that you might need to recover from that, that situation that puts you in a position of need, Because you lose your address, all those things are much harder, if not impossible, to access at that point when you need them most. So it becomes this incredibly dangerous catch-22 whereby you're prevented from accessing the support you need because of the same reason that you need it.
0: Yeah, I I actually had this situation when I first moved to the UK. You know, I was staying with a friend, sleeping on his couch and I had a job and, you know, so they're like, oh, we need a, a local bank account so we can pay you. Mm. So I go to the bank and I say, I want to open the bank account so I can get paid. And they're like, well, we need proof of address. Yeah, And I couldn't, you know, it, it took me like several months before yeah. I could even get, get this all set up so I could get paid. And not, it was crazy. Not, not only that, but even, you know, depending on where you are, you would have had
1: a different process because different banks... Uh, if you go to a different bank, they'll suggest something different. And then depending on the member of staff, they'll suggest something different. You know, the, the, the level of inconsistency alone makes it nigh on impossible to get through any of these things, because, you know, it, it there's no sort of standardized approach. And yeah, it, it's incredibly dangerous. And that, that kind of just sleeping on someone's sofa is a great example, because actually, you know, typically when people think of somebody who is homeless, they think of somebody you know sleeping on the street. But Homelessness includes people who are sofa surfing, people who are in temporary accommodation as well. In fact, they represent the vast majority of of homeless cases. And so, you can have a roof over your head. You know, you can be sleeping on a friend's sofa uh, and move mm-hmm. every couple of weeks. But the the dangerous thing is the 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 instability of the situation that just stops you from ever getting back on your feet entirely.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can really see how it could quickly spiral out of control. Oh yeah. So, how does Proxy Address solve this? What is Proxy Address?
1: So, what proxy address does is it gives people who are moving around a lot a stable address so that they can provide stable credentials, really? So it unlocks the support that people may need at the point when they need it most. So ultimately, what we do is, I mean the ideal, as you might imagine, would be to give people homes to sleep in. But short of changing the entire sort of capitalist structure of the u k. into compulsory purchase and making that more available, what we need to do is have a kind of stopgap and 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 ultimately, Uh, what we do is we use the address data of various properties. So that's empty properties. So we have over uh, 500,000 empty properties in England alone, 200,000 of which have been empty for more than six months. So we use the long-term 200,000 empty properties. We have properties owned by local authorities. We have addresses that are donated to us. Uh, We have addresses from housing associations, real estate companies. So we take all these addresses from different sources, each of them with explicit consent. And so we have this list and against that list, we can have people who come to us uh, who ask for a proxy address. We can essentially tie the address to the individual rather than to a place. And what that means is that if, for instance, you are moving around a lot and you need to constantly have posts going to people like the DWP or job applications, even if you move around a lot, that address, that outward facing address can still look like the same address. And it looks like a standard residential address so that actually you don't have the stigma of using for instance a care of address at a homeless shelter um, but it also means mm. that you can sort of tie across the gap So, so a huge problem for people who face homelessness for a short period of time is that just that little gap alone can have consequences for years so let's say you are sofa surfing for a couple of months the data that people later need on you is basically gone because the address, in most cases, the address is not, you know, the interested party isn't interested in your address because of your location. They're interested in it because it acts as like a linchpin for the information about you. So that's where the information is kept. Now, without a constant address, that information has nowhere to go. So credit reference agencies, for example, suddenly don't have data on you for a couple of months. And so then therefore you have what's called a thin file which means that you have trouble accessing credit for years down the line.
0: Yeah, I, I had that problem as well. So after I was in the UK for a couple of years, I tried to get a credit card and yeah, you have to fill in this form. And they're like, you know, list all the places you've lived the last, you know, five years or whatever. Mm. And of course it required a UK address, which I couldn't put in. And as a result, you know, you can't go to the next stage of the application. Yeah, I had exactly this problem. Yeah, ex- exactly. and And, you know, when... And talk about
1: sort of the the credit implications for people who are recovering from homelessness, you know, it's not that it's going to necessarily infringe on their ability to get a business loan or something. It's it's more that things like paying for utilities, for example. Let's say the person does get back on their feet. When they get into a flat, then they can't pay in arrears for utilities because that's a form of credit. So now they're going to have to get somewhere with a prepaid meter. Um, which both costs more and, you know, costs money to install and all that kind of stuff. So that, there's this kind of ripple out effect that happens just from this one little, little issue. So as I say, with proxy address, what we do is give that person an address uh, that comes with explicit consent. They can use it as they would a normal address, but it essentially steps in to grant them all the access that they need to the services they need. And, and this was a really key thing is... is The the design of the system was about trying to work with what already exists. So trying to serve up that information that the person needs and provide it in a standard address format. Because what I found is going around different stakeholders and saying, you know, why don't you change this? And then we could have this amazing impact. It didn't work because nobody wants to change, especially when you have national or international infrastructures to deal with. Nobody wants to change that. So my my challenge as a designer was to say, okay, well, really was to understand how these different systems worked and and design around that to make sure that it could be essentially deployed
0: with the existing system. So lots of questions there, Chris. So you say we give them an address. That means it's it's you as like the proxy address organization or you're working together with local government or charities or, or how does it really work? Yeah, so ultimately
1: it's a proxy address as a service we provide to the local authorities, so to the local councils. And and the reason for that is, well, first of all, uh, there's a clear touch point for people who are at risk of or currently experiencing homelessness, because if they want any help from the state with homelessness, they need to go to their council. So that's where we pick it up rather than having to try and reach out to people individually, uh, which is obviously incredibly difficult. The second thing is that there was a piece of legislation that came came up while I was actually working on this project called the Homelessness Reduction Act. So this got royal assent in uh, April 2018, and it puts, as as, as a law, it puts a lot of additional duties onto councils to prevent and relieve homelessness, which on the one hand is is great. Obviously, we need a lot more work to be done there. But it came at a time when councils have been, since 2010, dealing with a significant cut across their budget. Hmm. So we're essentially asking councils to do a lot more for a lot less and and that if you like was fed into part of the, the design challenge is how can we enable councils to do that with proxy address it's it's using information that already by law is recorded in terms of where vacant addresses are you know things for required for council tax and and business rates purposes um there are already registers of of where the vacant addresses are so we use existing information we just deploy it in a in a way that can enable councils to actually help people
0: more can the the holder of a proxy address can they use it to actually receive physical mail or what happens there if I, if I send a letter to someone at their property address?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So,
0: so the two main
1: sort of, sort of concerns, if you like, when I initially speak to people about proxy address, one is one is post and the other is fraud and potentially a third of, of credit rating. Now, it's important to, to, to mention that, you know, with proxy address. It has no impact on, on the original property, its post, its credit rating. Ultimately, it's a lot like current existing methods in posts to redirect mail. So every year at the moment if, uh, in the UK, 800,000 children send a letter to Santa Claus every Christmas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's addressed to Father Christmas at Reindeer Land. I think it's X four uh, XM4S or something. Uh, no, no, post. It has a own postcode. Yeah, it? yeah. And... Yeah. Um, uh, not to break anyone's heart, but it doesn't go to Reindeerland, that piece of mail, it goes to a sorting office in Belfast. And so ultimately, although it's a lot less romantic, the, the purpose of that address is not to define the location that that address goes to, that that piece of mail goes to, it's just to act as a routing instruction. And therefore the address on a, on an envelope doesn't have to be where that goes. And you can see that all the time. If you if you've ever redirected a piece of post or move home and use the standard redirection systems, that's what they do. You know, it's simply a line on a, on a database that says, take this and put that there instead. But postal redirection is done on the basis of an individual at an address, not an address itself. Same cre- the Same for credit rating. So what that means is theoretically there's no reason why we couldn't take every address in the UK and just double it, triple it, quadruple it without impacting on the original at all so you could be living you know you could be living in your in your own home and donate your address to proxy address and somebody else could be you know bob smith at your address and their mail would never go to your home it would always get redirected to where they need to pick it up your mail still goes to you your credit rating is yours their credit rating is theirs the, the, the two never meet
0: it's entirely in parallel i see i see huh okay well okay so 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 then you had this idea what happened then? How did you take the idea and turn it into reality? I mean, I know, I'm sure there have been many, many challenges on the way.
1: Yeah, that, that was that's the long part. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, so at, at the time I was working as an architect. And so that was four days a week because it was on site. And, and when you're on site, so obviously in construction, you tend to have a bit more, a bit less time to spend. So I was working four days a week. And for the other three days a week, that's when I was doing the design as a residence work at the design museum. And for me, it was really important that I try and make sure I'm, I'm not going into it naively. I think that was one of the first key things I, I had to look at is the fact that I, had a, I, I had an interest in trying to make sure that as an architect, our towns and cities work for, for those who, who rely on them. But at the same time, I, I was you know, acutely aware that I, hadn't, I was lucky enough not to have any personal experience of homelessness myself. So first of all, I went around the country and I spoke to as many people as I could basically. So I I spoke to people who were homeless, people who used to be homeless, frontline charity workers, policy makers, you know, post people, financial people, people from the House of Lords, you know, any, anybody who would listen to me, really. And and it's the things I learned through that that, that really shaped proxy dress and, and how it works, because as a sort of designer, I, I would walk into quite uh, dry environments, let's say, for instance, a, a sort of financial regulatory environment. And people tend to assume that you're going in there as a designer to basically share your vision of the world and expect that people change how they work to meet your vision which is is pretty much how bad design works you know my job as a designer was to as i said earlier understand how their world works and work around it so that was a long mm. process of trying to understand not only how people who are homeless ha- you know the challenges they face whether explicit and clear or kind of more subtle and nuanced you know for instance actually trusting institutions alone can be a big concern for people who may have you know ultimately been at the the wrong end of of treatment from those institutions all their lives little subtle things like that and so understanding how how people wanted to use it uh, how stakeholders needed to to use it all those kind of things that took about 8 months to get to the point where i could confidently say okay this is the proposal. So the that proposal in concept was exhibited in the design museum. And that was a big help because that was exhibited for about four months. And I think we had, it was about quarter of a million visitors to the exhibition um so from that we got quite a lot of people coming to me saying you know oh this is something that could be interesting you know can we have a further discussion so that this initial platform this kind of jumping board of the designs of residence was absolutely crucial to sort of getting it off the ground with the required velocity to to give it a bit of airtime and then just running with it from that point so then it was going off and trying to move it to the point of of realistic implementation And, and that's where you know the, the more serious elements of you know risk mitigation, compliance with anti fraud legislation, all these kind of things come into play and, right. and and that that for me is almost the meat of it really It's similar in a sense to to architecture you know you start off trying to visualize at a conceptual level what a building should be like, but actually it's it's when you're going through that transition as you said from concept to reality. That requires negotiating the, the, the landscape of regulations and legislation required to, to get something done properly. And, and that's what the most recent part has been. So getting it onto this stage now where we're live and putting it into people's hands, it's a big milestone, really, because it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's taking
0: all that learning and, and all, that, uh, all those conversations and, and putting it into play. Well, yes, yeah, so we should mention that. I mean, the event that kind of kick-started this, my request to interview was that proxy address is now live in in lewisham mm-hmm. so but but let's not jump ahead so so what now at that point proxy address was i mean what was it legally it's a startup it's a company it's a charity it's a it's just a project that you're kind of working on how did and how did you how did you fund all this because i believe you were also in geovation right yeah that's right yeah so geovation was a great boost and uh that that came about because of
1: geomob actually so, um, and and was a huge pivotal pivotal moment for, for proxy address in, in taking that next step so thank you very much for, for that that's fantastic <laughs> um, i i hadn't realized that yeah no it was it was incredible and as i say i mean one of the fantastic things about about proxy just for me you know from from a personal sort of direct impact point of view is you know architecture is, is quite it's quite a, a clearly delineated career path you know you, you study for seven years minimum on a vocational degrees and when you qualify you you know you come out and you are an architect and you continue to be an architect and then you retire. And that's basically the plan. With Proxy Address, it's, got, it's seen me go into a much more free-flowing route and it's spanning all these different worlds that I never would have normally crossed. So, you know, when I com- came to GeoMob, for instance, it was just just Geo world that was for me a little disorientating because, you know, I, there's all this kind of information which, you know, was, was just a different professional world from where I was. So it was fascinating to, to see all that stuff. And, and the same applies for when it goes to, you know, financial world or postal world or, uh, you know, charity world. But so the, to see to to meet the people from Geovation and get a sense that oh actually there are people out there supporting this kind of thing that I'm trying to do was was a great revelation and Geovation which uh, for anyone who doesn't know is uh, you know um, run by Ordnance Survey and HM Land Registry was obviously incredibly relevant for what I was doing and so that provided a bit of funding and it provided a you know a place as a sort of HQ as well but in addition to that there was other organizations as well like the uh, the RSA the Royal Society of Arts Arts Council as well the Design Museum obviously uh Innovate UK so there's been bits of funding like that to kind of keep it going and I think for from my, from my own personal strategy, I'm quite keen to resist any form of external investment at this point. So uh, I know, I know from, from my experience of going from architecture to a more startup world, one of the biggest changes was, was the difference in pace. So architecture is quite a glacial pace. You know, a single, I mean, my, my time on the Natural History Museum project was about four and a half years, and that's for one project all right yeah Yeah, it's not it's not too unusual you can find architects who spend you know half their careers on a single very large project and you when you walk over to, to startup world and it's just like you know a company is born accelerated grows fails and is repealed within the space of 18 months it's just it's just bizarre and um and there's a real mantra i found of like you know just work fast and fix things later basically but that's not something that can happen with proxy address because proxy address would be somebody's lifeline in their position when they're most vulnerable and so it can't be something where you know three months down the line i have to turn around and say oh actually you can't access your doctor for a couple of weeks because we have to fix a bug you know it needs to be robust from the start and so with that in mind my, my focus has been always on on making sure it's built robustly what that means is that i you know i've prioritized what it is over how fast it can grow because i want to make sure that you know let's say for instance we talk on external investment there's always a risk there that that the interests of external investors could skew the project towards something else whether it be you know some kind of early capitalization or you know some scope change that sends it towards a a less impactful avenue so my idea has been to hold off on external investment for now until a point that actually the the form of the thing
0: itself is set in stone and then i can start trying to get money for for you know scaling at speed yeah i can i can follow your your logic there i can see how that makes sense you you really are developing critical infrastructure So
1: a bit of um, an architectural uh, metaphor, but for me, you know, like this kind of rapid growth startup world is a bit like, you know, just trying to reach the clouds by building the the tallest spire, you know, like a a thin tall structure that just gets there as quickly as possible. Whereas proxy Address is a bit more, a bit more like building a pyramid in the sense that it's way more stable, but the, the first layer takes the longest, you know, and then it gets quicker after that, and quicker after that, and quicker after that. But the longer you spend on that first layer the taller the, the, the apex goes. So that's the kind of approach I'm taking, whereby actually it's trying to start at the hardest point.
0: Hmm. Yeah, good analogy. So t- tell us the details now of this, this first launch, this trial that you're in with Lucian. Yeah, so basically
1: the key thing, uh, I mentioned that, you know, post is often a, an early question. Uh, another early question is fraud. And the biggest obstacle, you know, in terms of the first layer of that pyramid is is demonstrating compliance with fraud. Because as you might imagine, the number of times I went into, you know, big corporate meeting rooms and said, right, we're going to get people who are homeless to use addresses they don't live at to, to You know, do all these things with government and banks and things. Usually it's the lawyer who I end up speaking to for the second half of that meeting. And understandably (laughs) so, because, you know, it it sounds like something that is incredibly risky and the risks involved are significant. So it doesn't mean anything in that context for me to say, you know, I've designed this with these risks in mind. I need to demonstrate that. I need to demonstrate that it complies and it kind of works. So that's what this first pilot is doing. It's starting with that hardest obstacle to overcome, which is compliance with anti-fraud legislation. So there are three pieces of legislation in question. There's anti-money laundering, uh, there's know your customer, and there is countering the funding of terrorism. So as you might imagine, they take these pretty seriously. And we are opening bank accounts using a proxy address instead of a proof of address now. To open a bank account using a proxy address is one aspect of the broader service. You know, it's kind of a snapshot of one little slice. Proxy address is, you know, the defining character of proxy address is its ability to apply to multiple different sectors. You know, whether that's getting ID, getting on the electoral register, getting a doctor, getting benefits, all these different things. But for the purposes of this pilot, we started with this financial element purely because it allows us to hit that high tide mark of compliance behind which everything can then basically fall under the umbrella of for further down the line. So we've got mm-hmm. partners so, so the whole thing is, is done in, in Lewisham Council. And we have the, the process is overseen by the financial conduct authority, so the financial regulators, because it's being undertaken as part of what's called the regulatory sandbox, where they allow innovative methods you know uh, financial instruments as they call them to be tested live in the market so we have their oversight of the process but we also have partners in people like barclays and monies and monzo to be opening bank accounts with as well as partners on the more charity side so like crisis and the big issue and mastercard and ordnance survey and Land Registry as well obviously so the idea is that we are going to go through with about uh, 100 people have them open these bank accounts using a proxy address. And then we're going to continue to try and find what the impact is. Of, you know, this is not just a case of putting people through to demonstrate compliance with fraud legislation. It's also a case of having an opportunity to make sure that what we're doing is accessible, is easy to understand, is is impactful. And and so, you know, we'll not only be looking at the, the metrics in terms of, you know, well, this person became more economically engaged because, you know, they were you know, having a salary where they had none before, but more importantly, I think is, is the more qualitative side is actually speaking to the people involved and saying like, what have you found the impact to be? Because so often those sides of things get, get missed out in this kind of, in this kind of testing.
0: I'm certain you're going to learn an immense amount when, uh, you know, the, the theory meets the reality. Oh, um, Yeah,
1: if, if there's one thing I've learned working with, you know, people in general is that there's, there's nothing predictable about it. There's
0: always a surprise. You know, massive congratulations for, for the progress that you've made and taking this from innovative idea to actual execution. I mean, oh, you should you. you should really be quite pleased. Oh, thank you very much. What, you know, 2021 is just around the corner. What, is, what does that hold for proxy address? What, how, how are things going to move forward?
1: i mean we'll see it's
0: hard to to plan anything at
1: the moment isn't it with the world changing so quickly but for me this pilot falls into kind of stage one of three stages uh, of growth for proxy address so one of the good things about running this pilot is that in parallel we can be preparing for the next stage of growth and what that means is getting in place you know this this is quite regional if you like the pilot because it's in one council having those conversations to get the 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 really more sophisticated national and international kind of uh, infrastructure in place to allow that scaling to happen later so for instance if somebody were to present themselves with a proxy address in such a way where you know let's say the government needed to check whether or not that was a, a normal address or a proxy address that there is that infrastructure there in the background to make sure that information is available this is all you know part of the original design of the of the system it's just so it, it we need to be a bit strategic in how we get to that because obviously you can't wait until you're at 100% before making it available because then you won't have engaged with the people who use it in the process but also you have to be quite careful about which parts you you share early because you want to make sure that what you do present to people uh, as a as a section of the overall is able to sustain on its own two legs so this first pilot will turn into a broader pilot which will have bigger scope it will be beyond beyond just banking uh, it'll be across multiple councils and then by the third stage which you know potentially could also fall within that 2021
0: we would be looking at a full full national rollout well congratulations man i i I wish you every success what for all the listeners out there who are intrigued by this idea and maybe want to get involved in some way or or support the project you know what kind of help do you need and and how can people best get in touch
1: yeah i'm i'm terrible at saying what help i need (laughs) for some reason I'm, i'm terrible at answering that i mean there's a lot. I think it, the best just to get in touch, as you say. And uh, if you go to the website proxydress.co.uk, um, you can find all the information available there. Uh, there's a good, you know, some good explainers about the project. There's the FAQs, but there's also contact information as well, where you can reach out. Yeah, I, I really enjoy getting contacted by people who, who just find, you know, a curious interest in the project because usually, you know, people come from a wide Array of different backgrounds, and everybody has something, uh, some interesting insight. So I'm always, I'm always keen to have those conversations.
0: Excellent, Chris. That, that being said, I do want to raise one point. My day job, of course, is running a geocoding service. <laughs> Chris, but you know, what, what does this mean for us, Mel? <laughs> I mean, will no one think of the poor geocoders? Isn't our life hard enough as is without <laughs> you creating, creating I mean, I, fake
1: addresses? I won't pretend to know enough about geocoding to to, to tell you how, that it's all going to be fine. I, I think I think generally speaking, uh, I mean, I mentioned earlier the sort of, you know, the background infrastructure to make sure that, you know, all this information is tied up, really. And, and I think that should mean it's absolutely fine. Uh, in terms of geocoding, you know, the addresses are still going to be where the addresses are. It's just that the, the people associated with those addresses might be different places. So for me, a good analogy for proxy addresses is comparing, you know, proxy address to to the existing style of addresses is like comparing a mobile phone to a landline. So at the moment, you know, with a landline, if you call somebody up, the first thing they say is, is who's speaking. Uh, if you call somebody up on a mobile phone, the first thing they say is where they are, you know, I'm on a train, et cetera. And, you know, that's because in the first instance, you know, where you're calling but you don't know who's going to pick up and, and and with a mobile phone you know exactly who you're calling but you don't necessarily know where and from my point of view if, if we're going to start to use addresses to define people rather than location for some vital vital services then it makes more sense to to treat it like a mobile phone and tie it to an individual rather than the location. So let's keep the conversation open
0: to so make sure uh, there aren't any frictions that come up there. <laughs> nah, I'm going to just have to learn to deal with it Chris, obviously, but, I mean, you know, we already have this problem because there are addresses. People think postcodes are fixed, and in reality, is over time they move quite a bit, or or some postcodes move, like some large organizations. You know, when they move, they'll take their postcode with them, yeah. or there yeah. are their postcodes for military units that yeah. might be moving around and things like that. So,
1: absolutely, and
0: I think, from my point of view, this is one
1: of the things that this is kind of one of the reasons why I ended up here. If, if you like, is when I came to look at this problem and and found this, you know, this consistent thread of addressing. My background in architecture is, I think, put me in a position to, to sort of see this with 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 fresh eyes, in the sense that you know i think most people walk through a a city and and they they perhaps think of it as something you know made of stone and steel and and glass and and something that is just static really whereas as an architect your entire you know professional life is based on on a city being a thing in flux you you know you look at a building and you see it as something that uh okay on on a more kind of glacial lifespan but something that changes that will be demolished or built or refurbished or you know, and you know how road layouts change and entire districts change and and exactly that with you know postco as being a, a a system that actually moves and and ebbs and flows over time. that's what happens in cities. and I think you know seeing the flexibility in systems that are kind of assumed to be so rigid uh is an, is an important element to to breaking down things that we that we consider to be otherwise you know on on unscalable. I mean, a good example of that is I've worked on projects before where they were, you know, buildings were going up in, in as yet undeveloped land. And that land obviously is like the corner of a field doesn't have an address different from, you know, the house that's over the other side. So what you get is you get what's called a not yet built address. And so you can, mm-hmm. it's a temporary, well, it's not yet built postcode. Uh, so it's a postcode you get so that you can coordinate deliveries to sites. So you can tell people where to go to drop off the concrete or what have you to a particular part. Now, just knowing that, immediately from my own experience meant that i i was aware that actually yeah you know addressing is a flexible thing and you know not only that but in other countries as well you know i mean our, our because, addressing uh, approach is is one of many in the world you know there there are there are parts of the world i think it's, a, it's in prague where where every every address uh, every building has two addresses you know they have the one that is
0: Oh my God! There, there are so many horror stories like that, yeah, or where yeah. the 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 number of the house depends on you know the the time it was built. Yeah, like, the order you know, in which it was built. First house is number one, second house is number two. Exactly,
1: and and seeing examples in I think places like yeah, in Czech Republic, where I think you know if you are you can be living at number number twelve, and then they demolish number ten, and now you're number ten, and you know these yeah. numbers just ebb and flow, and. In actual fact, you know, one of the, the early ideas I had for u- addresses to be used was um, it came out of some research I did early on in the project. So I got access to the PATH database and I ran a few sort of analyses through on that to just see what if there were any weird aberrations I could interpret or make use of. And one of the things I found was that of every street in the UK with a number 14, uh, 34% of those streets didn't have a number
0: 13. Uh, just because. Oh of yes, of course. I remember you mentioned that in your GMO yeah. talk. Yeah, it, 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 was
1: it was just you know, two two councils have banned the use of number thirteen in all future housing developments, and uh, in Birmingham, the, the number of uh, missing thirteens goes up to seventy four percent. So they're very superstitious there. <laughs> it's it, it's really bizarre, and in actual fact, I mean, the reason why the two councils who have banned it have done is because people tend to be put off by it, so they they the houses tend to sell around three to five percent less for a lower price so, will... so people buy them and then they submit the paperwork to change it to 11a with the council so that they can then flip them for a profit and the council just basically has a lot of paperwork and no no you know financial interest in the <laughs> in that maneuver so they just banned the uh the use of 13s and there's 160,000 of those missing number 13s across the uk um which again is just you know Address information out there that is missing and and is available and up for grabs and and this is one of the really interesting things for me that that fundamentally you know I think co- again coming into this with with fresh eyes having not really been in the geo world at all I, I was looking at the this sort of address address information that was needed and like all these sources of addresses that could be taken and and you know I think my first question is really what is an address because actually. We tend to have a very direct relationship, a very personal relationship with our own addresses. But, you know, if you buy a house, you don't buy the address. You know, it's not property that you own. It's it's kind of a, it's possibly the most public information we have in the physical world, in the sense that by law in the UK, although it's an old law, your street number has to be visible from the street. I think that's based in old sort of like needing to get ambulances to service places or fire engines and things. So you can walk down any street and look at the street name on the corner look at the the house number on the door and you know the address you know so as long as you don't care who's behind that door that's not private information that's the most public information we have you can shout that out loud and you're not breaking GDPR rules you know it's it's about how do we how do we deal with the most public information and using that to to open up Access to people's most private information. It's a, there's a real tension there that I think hasn't been addressed yet. If you pardon the pun.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I, I think the conversation has strayed into the philosophical. So yeah, but... that that will be um, one for the next time. I think. Chris. But uh, no, let me let's wrap up by by let me once again extend my congratulations to you, and I, I hope your pilot goes really well. Congratulations to all involved, but, but particularly to you. And I encourage listeners to get in touch if they have ideas of how they can help you go forward. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. All right. Well, thanks everyone. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Bye. Thanks everyone for joining us today and listening to the GMA Podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter where our handle is geomob. You can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Freifogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.